Welcome back, passengers of the chronosphere and travelers of the spectral streams. Let me tell you about some upcoming flights. In the future, we'll be going to a wild western world. We'll also be journeying into an area connected to the bubbleverse of Gafgar, the eternally unfurnished. It's called Port Lock created by playing some kind of game and then turning it into a journey. Of course, I'm not going to forget about Daniel Dredd. We've still got four episodes of that story. Then we have a story called The Will from our great Pete Lutz. Well, enough news for now. I know why you're here. I know what you're waiting for. It's time for the part three finale of Conceived in Liberty. At the end of part two, we saw Steve McPherson leave a bar with Scarlet, and we pick up in Steve McPherson's office the next morning. Act four, scene one. McPherson's office the following day. Steve sits at his desk reading a letter. Soon, Barry enters, an air of anxious urgency about him. He quickly shuts the door behind him. Boy, folks are up in arms about this bill. Listen to this. Mr. McPherson, my name's Aaron. I'm 19 and I live in your district. You've got to vote against the Rubin bill. It's imperative that you and your colleagues thwart this totalitarian takeover by any means necessary. Betray the country like the Senate and vote for the bill, and I swear you'll lose your seat in the House in November and so much more. The First Amendment is at stake. Like Kirk Gower says, I, for one, am doing absolutely everything to combat this assault. Well, you get the idea. Where's Scarlet? I gave her the day off. Why? Um, as a friendly gesture, I guess. And there wasn't much to be done. Is everything all right? Yeah, fine. Is everything all right with you? You seem concerned. Do I have any reason to be? What are you talking about, Barry? What the hell's going on? I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe nothing, but I'd like to know, and it's nothing personal. But have you made a slip-up I should know about? What do you mean? Anything questionable. Unsavory, scandalous. Come on, Steve. I'm not joking around here. Uh, no. No, nothing I can think of. You sure? Barry, yes, I'm sure. Jesus. Now, would you tell me what this is all about? I just looked at your schedule for today. Scarlet drew it up for you, right? Yeah, of course. Are you aware of a meeting in 30 minutes with a man named George Watts? Uh, I haven't had a chance to take a good look at the schedule just yet. I'll, I'll level with you. I was pretty hungover this morning. But no, I don't know a George Watts. Well, I do. Trouble. That's what this means. I'm still not sure I follow. Do you want me to try and get Scarlet on the phone? Uh, I don't think... Barry and McPherson exchange glances. Yoo-hoo, anybody home? Come in. Into the room steps George Watts, a grin plastered on his face. He instantly notices Barry. Well, look who it is. Didn't expect to see you, old buddy. And we didn't expect to see you, not for another half an hour. Oh, you know me. Always one step ahead of the game. Oh, I know. I hope I didn't step in on something important. 
Nah, Steve and I were just shooting the breeze. Isn't that nice? It's good to have people on your staff you can be close to, eh, Steve? Your chief of staff, certainly. Secretaries, too. I'm sorry, I don't think we've met. We haven't. George Watts. I work at New American Strategies, Inc. We're a lobbying firm. Watts goes and shakes McPherson's hand. Delighted. Barry can tell you all about me. Sure can. Maybe another time, though. That's one lengthy resume. Well, Mr. Watts, what can I do for you? I just need a couple minutes of your time, Steve, and I'll be out of your hair. All right. In private would be best, I think. You might prefer it that way. After some hesitation, McPherson gives Barry an uncertain nod and the latter sees himself out. So I take it you have some lobbying to do. I'll be around, Steve. That's a good way of looking at it. I want to help you out. That's what I want to do. You see, there's a vital piece of information I left out of my introduction just now. I'm not just some lobbyist. As it turns out, I'm actually your best friend. Excuse me? Let me ask you this first. You don't record all your meetings in secret like Dick Nixon, do you? No. <laughs> like it even matters. Anyway, I'll just get to it. This is about the vote in two days. On the Rubin bill. Precisely. What about it? It would be best for everybody, Steve, if you voted for that bill. I, I'm sorry, but you're wasting your time here. My mind's made up on the... Steve, you should really amend your opinions on the bill. It's not just in the best interest of America, but in your own best interest as well. Very much so. In my best interest? To completely reverse myself and throw all my colleagues under the bus? Oh, come on, Steve. Don't tell me you put party over country. That's not right. You're not an ideologue, are you? Look, George, you know that I would be practically the only Republican in the House to vote for this. That's not true. We've been talking to some others, and there'll be more than a couple yeses from the right side of the aisle. You won't be alone. In fact, we were thinking an impassioned speech from you in particular in support of the bill might even turn the tide, swing a substantial number of Republicans who've been too afraid to swim against the current. You could get the bill through. You could change history. Steve is at first mute with disbelief. He then starts laughing. <laughs> what, is, what is this, a joke or something? Are Scarlett and Barry playing a prank on me here? Is that what's going on? Actually, Steve, I'm very serious about all of this. All right, well, my serious answer is no. I would be a, a pariah if I voted for the bill, not just to the House leadership, but my constituents. Just look at some of these borderline threats from people saying don't vote for the Rubin bill. McPherson holds up Aaron's letter. Don't worry about the speaker and his friends. No wounds time won't heal. They'll be needing your vote again in no time. That's how it works, kid. As for your constituents, the American people want this. Who are you worried about? The Kirk Gower crowd? That guy's finished. He'll be off the air any day. Now, real news personalities, they all love a maverick. You break ranks and you'll be doing the interview circuit in no time. That's a fucking promise. Ever been on primetime TV, Steve? No, I haven't. Maybe you don't fully understand, but I've received conditional offers from important people that would certainly be withdrawn. Well, the thing is, Steve, I'm getting you off the hook here because I'm your friend, but my offer is conditional also. What do you mean, getting me off the hook? <sighs> There's no easy way for me to say this, Steve. You see, Scarlett, she actually used to do some bookkeeping with us at New American Strategies. She's a friend of ours. We, uh... We know all about how you took advantage of her last night. 
What? She was inebriated, and you took her back to your apartment. She... She, she, she had one drink. Hell, I was the drunk one. Splitting hairs is what most people would say in rebuttal. Did she... I, I don't understand. Did, did she... She came to us. Don't worry, the authorities aren't involved. Not yet. But that could change very fast. I didn't... I didn't... What? Take advantage of her? <laughs> That's insane. Hey, Steve. I'm not here to pass judgment, booby. <laughs> Do you... I, I mean... <laughs> Does she have any, any, any proof? Apparently there was a bartender who could probably recall seeing the two of you leave together, if that's necessary. And um, she caught a lot of it on her cell phone. I must confess, I watched through it more than once. My, my. My, my. Shocked and ashamed, McPherson covers his face with his hand. Something occurs to him that inspires a touch of optimism. If, if she filmed it, it proves I didn't force myself on her. Watts takes a seat upon McPherson's desk. But Steve, buddy, if you're cheating on your pregnant wife, does it really matter to your colleagues, to the press, to the mother of your child? McPherson is aghast. He makes a sudden realization. Are, are you blackmailing me? <laughs> no, Steve. That's a bit of a silly question, isn't it? <laughs> like I said, Steve, I want to help you. Personally, I want you to have a long and successful and distinguished career in politics. I don't want your reputation besmirched, and I certainly don't want a family to fall apart. But I need you to help me in return. You're, you're saying this goes away? Never even happened. You'll never see Scarlet again. Unless you want to. Maybe we could work something out if there's a little dictation you need to get out of your system. <laughs> it's a lot you're asking of me. If it's the speech you're worried about, lighten up. It's already been written. You'll deliver it to the House during debate tomorrow. And I have friends in certain agencies who tell me anything could happen at the demonstrations over the bill today. Who knows? Something bad happens, public opinion swings in your favor. <sighs> Christ. Hey, it's not so bad. Hell, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Fuck Scarlet up the ass, keep your wife and kid, and keep your career. I wasn't kidding about the interviews and shit. Pull this off and you'll be a goddamn celebrity, mark my words. McPherson says nothing, but his growing sereneness would reflect his increasing approval. Uh, just one more thing. What's that? Fireberry. What? Trust me, he's in it for himself. Not to mention the fact he probably won't like you voting for the bill, and it'll save you the trouble of explaining yourself. Barry's my friend. He, he's always had my back. He Welcome to Washington, D.C., youngster. How better to signal a policy shift than with a good staff reshuffle? And hey, maybe he won't take it personally. <laughs> Who's going to be my chief of staff? I don't know anybody connected like Barry. No, that's not true. Who's your best friend? You? You want to be... It's called the revolving door, Steve. You never take a political science class in college? This ain't my first time at the rodeo. I've done all this shit before. It's what I do best. Besides, I can take you a fuck of a lot farther than that chump ever could anyway. McPherson is at a loss for words. Tell you what, you've probably got a lot on your mind. I'll let you mull it over. Maybe you ought to have a talk with Barry. Or not. 
whatever. Watts takes a business card from his pocket and hands it to McPherson. Here's my number. Give me a call and we'll get rolling. Don't take too long. Watch out, kid. One of these days, you just might be a star. McPherson sits there, staring blankly at the card. Blackout. Scene 2. Aaron's room. Aaron and Lex stand over the former's bed, upon which sits an open briefcase displaying several different handguns. Lex picks one up for Aaron to see. Now here's a nice one. A classic. The Browning High Power Mark I. A real, well-balanced piece of machinery. 9mm, semi-automatic, 13-round magazine. Everybody's been using these forever. And not without reason. Here, you want to hold it? Sure. Lex carefully hands it to Aaron, who closely examines it. It's great. I'll take it. Uh, you sure you don't want to hear about the other ones? I got some good stuff here. This is just fine. Okay, you got it. Lex closes his briefcase. Do you have any bullets? Uh, it's loaded. Aaron quickly sets the gun down on his desk. Don't worry, safety's on. Oh. You, uh, ever handled one before? Not really. Okay. I'll be careful with it. I'm sure, I mean, hey, what you do with it is totally your business. I would have bought one in the store, but the waiting period... Yeah, that's a bitch. Plus the background checks and everything. Yeah, you don't have to explain yourself. I don't plan on using it. Hey, whatever. Come to think of it, I'm pretty sure you are my youngest client. You're not gonna shoot up a school or anything, are you? If I wanted to do that, I'd get something bigger. Well, if and when the time comes. Lex gestures to himself. Kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Not funny. It's for self-defense. Oh, of course. Never doubted you. What do I owe you? Two grand. Aaron goes to his dresser, opens one of the drawers, and silently counts out the money. That's a lot of babysitting money. I don't spend on much. Yeah, evidently. How about those protests, huh? Crazy. I have to completely avoid downtown because of those bozos. Got at least 30 minutes onto my drive. Aaron hands Lex the money. Crazy, all right. There's a little extra. Appreciation for your open-mindedness. No problem. Thanks. Lex pockets the money and picks up his briefcase. Nice meeting you. Aaron. They shake hands. Oh, Lex. Likewise. And if for whatever reason you need anything else, you know my number. Yep. Lex nods and exits Aaron's room. Aaron places the gun in his dresser drawer. Shortly, there's a knock on the door. Yes? Can I come in? Sure. What's up? Who's that guy? That's Lex. What was in his suitcase? Oh, uh, he had this one part I needed for my project. I, it was out of stock most places I checked. How, how many places do you check? You haven't gone out in a while. I checked online places. And um, what are you working on again? It's kind of hard to explain. It's an experiment in electromagnetic radiation, sort of like building a microwave. Um, I see. And what's the part you needed? What are you on my case for? I mean, do you think I, like, bought, like, drugs from him? I don't know. I You've been so secretive lately. What secret do you think I'm keeping? I don't know. I'm, I'm just worried about you. What for? Because you never leave the apartment, never see friends. You You hardly even leave your room anymore. You have strangers coming over for God knows what, and it's all very confusing to me. 
Well, I know you need someone to watch Brent while you're out working. Come on, this isn't about that, Aaron. You chose to stay in here. I want to know why you've isolated yourself. I'm sorry, Mom. I just don't see it that way. Then how do you see it? Please tell me. I'd really like to know. Aaron awkwardly wanders to the far end of the room. Uh, I'm, you know, antisocial. Like, reserved. Introverted. I don't know what more I can say. I... I don't feel like spending a bunch of time with people. But that hasn't always been the case. I don't know about that. You really think this is the way you've always acted? It's not, Aaron. And then there were all your opinions on politics you were so passionate about. You just abandoned them out of nowhere. And now you echo that guy on the radio? Kirk Gower, Mom. That reminds me his show should be on soon. Aaron starts for his computer, but his mother proceeds into the room and wards him off. No, Aaron, I'm trying to talk to you. And you're doing a bang-up job. Isn't there anything you want to do out in the world anymore? A job, school, a career, anything. Well, I guess I'm still taking time to think about it. Aaron, please tell me what's wrong. What do you want me to say? Saddened, she strides past him and takes a seat on his bed. She fights back sobs as best she can. Mom? I'm sorry. It's okay. Seriously. He goes and sits down next to her in a measured attempt at comforting her. Um, I just have to try and remember how hard it's been for you also. What do you mean? Sweetie, losing your father. Aaron immediately disengages. Mom, no, that's not it. I know how much it hurt. Aaron gets to his feet and steps away. It's not that. I mean it. There's nothing wrong with missing him. You know... I asked you not to bring Dad up. Aaron... No, I I don't want to hear about him. I don't want you talking about him. Maybe it would help if we did. It could make you feel... I'm not... No. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not. I'm not having this discussion. In another room, Brent begins to cry. All right. I can't force you. She stands. If ever you want to talk about anything, you know where to find me. Yeah. She walks past him toward the door. I love you. He keeps his eyes trained down. She quietly exits. Aaron stands completely still for a moment. Suddenly, as if emerging from a trance, he goes to his computer and turns on the Kirk Gower show. Scared. They will do something. Be wary. Be safe. Today, people will die. They'll be killed. I've got reliable sources telling me about an impending attack, possibly even a false flag. Thomas Jefferson said the Tree of Liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. As Gower's spiel proceeds, Aaron goes to his dresser and takes from one of the drawers some kind of remote control. He hesitates for a time. They'll do anything to control you. There's no depth to which they won't sink. We've got to fight back, or they'll be revving up the cattle trucks all over again. Ladies and gentlemen, the choice is all yours. Aaron taps the device repeatedly, still putting it off. Blackout. Scene three, the office of Kirk Gower. Kirk sits behind his desk, frantically scribbling on a piece of paper. He is considerably more wound up than usual. Mike enters and Kirk starts. Jesus, Mike. Gonna give me a heart attack. Sorry about that. What you got there? Gower stands and begins pacing the room. Just taking some notes for today's show. 
Got lots to say. No, there's lots that needs to be said. My mind's just racing. So what's the damage? Well, there isn't a damn thing the FCC can do to you or Darcy. The courts neutered them years ago. Great. That's great. But that doesn't mean your little outburst is going to prove blowback free, Kirk. I talked with our legal guys, and Lana can bring suit against you for defamation. Possibly even harassment. (laughs) Harassment! That's rich. I'm the one who should be suing her. Come on, Kirk. Would you get it together? This is serious. You're right. It's serious. She tried turning the segment into a goddamn sideshow. Kirk, all due respect, and I don't think it was right to bring up your family. It became a sideshow the moment you got vulgar. Ah, come on. You're not gonna... She was on the run. She went there because you had her on her heels. You could have played it off. You should have. I'm done playing with these assholes. The time for moderation's passed. They want to fight. They've got one. Well, now the heat's on. Everybody wants you gone. Off the air. What else is new? It's different this time. Now we look like the bullies. Now they've got every reason to shit on us. And what you said about Sternbaum and Darcy, Jesus fucking Christ. You know how many sponsors we lost in just the last hour? It's a regular fucking boycott. They don't matter. We'll find new ones. We aren't defeated yet, Mike. No, now more than ever, we're forced to be reckoned with. Tell me, was the appearance on Darcy's show not a ratings coup? Huh? More for her than for us. Bullshit. The internet's lit up with this. This was the best possible thing for us. Now, now when it matters, we have everybody's attention. They'll be tuning in today in record numbers. You just wait. It's an important day, Mike. With the protests going on everywhere, now's the time for the knockout blow. We bring it all together. Rally America against the bill once and for all. All the negative publicity will fade along with any chance of government-sanctioned censorship in this country. You may be right about an audience uptick, but you've got to smooth things over about your comments on Darcy's harassment. An apology is a surrender. You know that. I'm not asking you to apologize. Just address the allegations they're making about you. Throw Sternbaum under the bus. Walk it all back. Equivocate. Anything. Just let people know you don't advocate raping female news anchors, or we'll never have another listener with a vagina ever again. Kirk, I'm completely serious. I'll take a minute to clear things up, sure. It, it was obvious I was only talking about Darcy. She's a total opportunist. No, don't you double down on what you said. It's true, Mike. Are you asking me to lie to our listeners right now? By exclusion, yes. I get where you're coming from. I don't like her any more than you do, but this is a business. This is a revolution. People trust us because we tell the truth all the time. If some people don't want to know the truth, if it makes them uncomfortable, they can go fuck themselves. That's their own problem. Well, it'll be our problem soon enough. Gower returns to his desk and to his notes, closing the subject. Don't worry about it, Mike. Trust me. Everything's under control. We've always gotten by. We're not through, not by a fucking long shot. We're just getting started. Mike stands there for a moment while Gower scribbles away. How's everything at home? Hmm? Oh, fine. 
that right? Yep, kids are fine. Everything's been fine since Cynthia left the house. All right. You know, if you need a couple days to attend to personal matters or just take a breather, you're more than welcome. You've certainly earned it. Gower looks up. He stares blankly at Mike for a second before bursting into laughter. <laughs> take a breather. Are you insane? I've never felt better. A breather. Did Eisenhower go on vacation just before launching D-Day? Did Washington take a day off during the siege of Yorktown? All right. Just thought I'd offer. <laughs> when I need a couple days to take a breather, Mike, you do me a favor and have me put down, okay? Whatever you say, Kurt. Gower hops up to answer it. About damn time. You expecting someone? You bet your ass I am. Gower opens the door to Schiff, a trusted informant and correspondent. Hey there, Bob. Come in. Glad you could make it. Hey, Kirk. Mike. Bob. How's everything? Can't complain. How goes it with the mainstream media's favorite punching bag? Boy, did you get him pissed the other day. Sure did, didn't I? <laughs> Things are great. Things are really moving, you know? Well, what I've got for you is more than likely to move some people. Straight from the bowels of the deep state. Shocking and unbelievable. Just how you like it. You know what I love about you, Schiff? You're no good at keeping secrets. Luckily, anonymous sources don't have to be. If it's as good as you say, Bob, you might just be saving our asses. Mike's being a gloomy gust today, <laughs> but an exclusive story is exactly what... Gower's secretary appears in the doorway. I'm really sorry for interrupting, Mr. Gower, but your wife's on the phone. You've got to be shitting me. I told you I didn't want to hear about any calls from that crazy bitch. I'm in the middle of something enormously important here. I know. I I'm really sorry, sir, but she said if she can't get you on the phone right now, she's going to pick your kids up from school and take them home with her. I, th I thought you'd want to hear about it. Gower is struck by the news, and his rage fades. Um. <clears throat> uh. You need a minute, Kirk? We could step out? No. That's all right. Just tell her I'll call her back, will you? But thanks for letting me know. Of course, Mr. Gower. His secretary shuts the door. Gower gathers himself. Oh, sorry about that. Where were we? Bob is going to shock us with some revelation from his deep state friends. Yes, yes, that's right. Lay it on us. Two of my acquaintances in the NSA have been telling me there are rumors swirling around about some kind of cover-up. A cover-up? Yeah. Apparently a couple rank-and-file guys caught up with some weird stuff coming out of the West Coast. Weird as in... Might ordinarily warrant a more thorough investigation. More thorough than? Than what was sanctioned by the higher-up. Once they caught wind of it, reassignment started raining down. What exactly was it they first picked up on? I don't know. They won't say. I'm not sure they know. But it's got something to do with the vote on the bill, and quite possibly the protests. My God. It all makes sense. Stand down. There's going to be an attack, maybe even a coordinated series of attacks. I knew it! This is their plan. This is how they win. This is it. Gower rushes back to his desk and begins furiously scrawling notes. We've got to warn the people. We need to stay one step ahead of the murderous traitors working behind the scenes. It's a big story. It sure as hell is. Though, if nothing ends up happening, that's not going to help our image. Mike, shut the fuck up. We're saving lives. We're saving the country. 
Do you understand? Besides, it's my image that's on the line here, for fuck's sake. It's the Kirk Hour Show, and I'm not holding anything back. If I do, they've won, and I'm dead. Gower continues to write. Mike and Schiff stand in silence. Which, uh, which founding father was it who said that thing about the tree of liberty watered with blood? I, um, I think that was Jefferson. Jefferson, that's right. Today's episode is gonna be a doozy, gentlemen. Making history. Neither Schiff nor Mike make a move. Blackout. Act 5, Scene 1. The Chamber of the House of Representatives. The Speaker is solemnly addressing his many seated colleagues from the rostrum. But before we proceed with the scheduled morning hour debate, let us now observe a moment of silence in reverence to the 37 innocent lives lost in the cruel and cowardly attack on peaceful demonstrators in San Diego, California yesterday. Thank you. The chair now recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. McPherson. McPherson, stoic, stands and makes his way to the lectern, speech in hand. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I am hardly able to express my personal anguish at the malicious bombing committed on counter-protesters in my own native city. And I thank you and all in attendance for their kind words of support and solidarity in this time of great suffering. And as we mourn the dead and mend the countless injured, I think it's not only important we know that the entire nation is behind the brave people of San Diego, but that we remember they are not alone in their grief. After all, this is only the latest monstrous deed in a string of violent incidents which, on closer examination, have more in common than one may think. In the words of the late Senator Rubin, hate is a disease that festers in society. It can spread like a plague, and fear and violence are the symptoms. I must confess, I was myself an affirmed skeptic of the intentions of the bill in question until yesterday afternoon in my own backyard. The devastating effects of pure and unchecked hatred manifested themselves in one of the most gruesome and deadly examples of domestic terrorism in California history and indeed U.S. history to date. In what strongly appears to be a politically motivated attack, these people, my neighbors, were cut down with homemade explosive devices. And why? Because they were there to make their voices heard. Because they wanted to exercise their constitutional right of assembly and openly advocate the bill. Is this what America's come to? People are murdered for their opinions? What happened to the marketplace of ideas, to the freedom of expression? I ask you, Mr. Speaker, as I was forced to ask myself, when does it end? When will enough be enough? How many moments of silence must we endure before we start speaking out and taking action against hate speech and violence and intolerance? 
before we say no to the radical voices dividing us and shaming the entire country with their bigotry. I choose to speak out. I must. My conscience will have it no other way. And furthermore, it's my responsibility as a public servant to do everything in my power to further public safety. I fearlessly announce my support for the Rubin Bill, and I ask that we all take a stand, put partisanship aside, and come together to do something noble, something to make society a safer and more open place for everyone. I've made my choice. Have you? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. One over, the majority of the House erupts into bipartisan applause, many members rising to their feet and cheering. Certain congressmen remain seated and silent, not at all pleased. Blackout. Scene two, Kirk Gower's living room. Gower is having some kind of manic episode. He rapidly paces back and forth and gesticulates wildly. I fucking knew it. Jack! Lucy! Motherfucking coward traitors! Cynthia! Come on! Get your things! We've gotta go! The fix was in from the start. We've gotta hit the road! They're gonna take you away! They're gonna arrest all of us! It was a trap. Probably had my office bugged. Get your asses in gear! Come on, Jesus! Mike, Mike. Maybe Schiff paid off and greedy little shits. How many fucking times I gotta repeat myself? Let's move! They're in over their heads. I'm not going down without a fight. Gonna kick and scream all the way through their little show, child. And if they execute me, that'll spark the insurrection. Well, I, I bet they'll be stupid enough to televise the whole thing. <laughs> Live prime time. A cell phone somewhere in the room begins to ring. Kirk is severely rattled. Let's go! There's no more time! Gower runs toward the bedrooms. Jack! Jack! Lucy! Cynthia! Where are you? They'll be here soon! We... We... He wanders back into the living room, lost. You... You're gone. All gone. They got you already. The phone goes silent. Gower buries his face in his hand and weeps. The phone starts ringing again. Shut up! Shut up! I tried! I'm sorry! <laughs> he backs up against the wall and slowly slides down to the floor. His sobs carry on. Blackout. Scene 3. Aaron's room. Aaron is sitting on his bed, calmly listening to the news streamed through his computer. And the president signed the bill into law just half an hour after it was passed by a slim majority in the House. In other news, controversial and increasingly beleaguered radio talk show host Kirk Gower has been detained for questioning by federal authorities in relation to the attack in San Diego 
several days ago, reportedly owing to the exceptionally cataclysmic and hate-filled rhetoric he used on air in the days and weeks leading up to the attack, which many argue might have served as an inspiration to the bomber. It's yet to be seen whether the provisions of the new law would play a role in any possible proceedings. The search for the bomber or bombers is still underway, but we learned today that an arrest has been made and that the individual taken into custody is suspected of placing the bombs in trash cans situated throughout the area in which the counter-protesters were to convene. The San Diego Police Department has said that it was surveillance footage from a nearby business that led to the identification of the suspect. Aaron stands and walks to his dresser. He withdraws the gun. He steps into the bathroom and shuts the door behind him. Aaron! Aaron, what was that? Curtain. Well, Chronosphere passengers, that winds up conceived in liberty. Let me reintroduce the cast. Aaron is played by Will Gear. Aaron's mom is voice acted by Kathy Lieberman. Kirk Gower is voice acted by Blake Benlin. Barry is Van Riker. Steve McPherson is played by Matthew Smith. Lana Darcy is played by Alexis Bird. George Watts is voice acted by Pete Lutz. Lex and the Speaker of the House are Daniel French. Robert Schiff was voice acted by Lucas Nelson. Mike is played by Warren Clark. Cynthia Gower was Dr. Michelle Booz. Scarlett is voice acted by Caitlin Curtis. Lloyd the Bartender is played by Harrison Derbyshire. Paul Guthrie was voice acted by Mike Bethel. Noah is played by J. Dean Garcia. Hector and Secretaries is Joey Ochoa. Scene Direction and Jack and Lucy Gower were Rosanna Jimeno. The other congressman was Bob Larson. Conceived in Liberty is written by Blake Benlin. Production and sound design are by myself, Daniel French, at Fishbonius Sound Design. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed this chronospheric journey into our government system. Please go to patreon.com slash chronosphere and contribute to all these fine actors and writers. Keep coming back, passengers. We've got a lot of great things coming for you. Until then, keep your cosmos clean.